Welcome back to the non-standard 14er podcast, the podcast that tells you everything the route description leaves out about hiking Colorado's 14ers. I'm Short Rope, and joining me on this podcast is Tayjack. Hello. I got Jacer Jack. What's up? And we got our new guest to the podcast, Rye Guy. How's it going? Our guest today, we're really, uh, really stoked to have him on here, Rye Guy. A lot of you might know him. He's a pretty prominent guy in the 14ers community. He's a 14er finisher, 34 of which he's done in the winter, centennial finisher, uh, did an unguided summit on Rainier. He's done over 150 13ers. He's also an admin on the the small village that is the uh, 14ers.com Facebook page. So really happy to have you on here, Ryan. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. But before we get started, I want to give you a little gift. This is what we got for you from yesterday. Oh, <laughs> That's awesome. well, for those of you who can't be here watching this, they are handing out little cardboard signs that are Mount Beerstat, uh, showing the elevation, signs that I'm assuming were left on the summit of yep. Mount Beerstat, trash, yeah. as it were. Yeah, none of them are actually the, the, the date. Those are always the fun ones when you find it's from like a week before, but yeah, these are... Yeah, what is this, an Amazon Prime uh, box? Yeah. <laughs> At least they're the same elevation. That's always my That's favorite right. one. There's like That's five with the different elevations. Are they like, spelled what, is this mix and match or what? You know? Oh yeah, are they all spelled right? We, we do. Let's see. That's... Yeah, we're close. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. We're not bad. I, you know. Mount Bernstein. Yeah. This, this is better than usual. Usually right. the spelling's wrong, the elevation's wrong. You know. The gift of trash. We asked somebody where they were headed on the Sawtooth Traverse from Evans toward the Sawtooth. And, hey, where are you guys headed? Uh, over to Quandary. <laughs> Verbatim. That's what he said yesterday. It's been so, a long day. Yeah. That's what I said. But uh, yeah, Nick said this was the best gift we could have given you. And so you guys yeah. met when. How'd, we you, how'd the, you guys meet? Yeah, we were doing the CFI, the Colorado 14ers Initiative, uh, trail maintenance work, 14ers.com. Uh, Mongoose gets a group together, and there's probably 16, 17 of us mm-hmm. that they did Saturday and Sunday uh, t- trail maintenance above 13,000 feet. We were closing social trails on kind of Tories. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we were hiking up there, and we were talking about Dead Dog Corvoir and Tuning Forks and Kelso Ridge and the Avalanche, and Rye Guy chimes in and says, well, well actually, the Cool wars this elevation, and that's tuning forks, and the, the lost rat cool wars over here, and and he like like Rain Man like spit out like, and we're like we gotta get this guy on the podcast. Yeah, he's the Fourteeners Rain Man. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it's a, sometimes I feel like it's a curse, but yeah, <laughs> it's like photographic memory. I don't know what to. I've had people ask me like, how do you like? And I'm just like, I, I don't know. How do you remember you know what somebody's name is? And it's just that's amazing. Sarah. So you, you've spent a ton of time in these mountains. We were actually chatting about this off air just a second ago, but I'd love for you to share this with our listeners. You've got a really cool sort of upbringing in the mountains. Would you mind sharing just kind of where you started and how you fell in love with the mountains? Yeah, no, I um, was kind of fortunate. My, uh, so I was born and raised in Colorado, um, and every year uh, we would go down to Lake City for at least a week or two every single year, and I was basically from the time I was born all the way until high school time frame. Um, and so really got to spend a lot of time down there um, exploring around. I used to ride uh, dirt bikes with my dad a lot. So we used to explore all the old mining roads and just, I mean, I, there's not many places in the San Juans I haven't taken a dirt bike or hiked at some point. And so that's so cool. It was fun. It was funny when I was younger, I, you know, I just thought it was kind of fun to bike around to different places where I could see all these different peaks and thought that was kind of cool. And, you know, I kind of didn't realize later that I'd be hiking a lot of these places and still remembered you know, where I'd gone, and I remember pointing out peaks and saying, oh, I want to go climb this. And I remember my dad saying, oh, this is this peak, and you know, it's kind of fun to look back on that and, and uh, you know, have that 
not only had that memory, but then also the experience of being down there. So yeah, definitely spent a lot of time. I kind of consider Lake City a, one of those places that you know, second to home in that respect. So spent a lot of time down there. And that's so, where you did your first 14er? Or I tried did. your first 14 Yeah, I tried in Compagre, and I was like, you know, about five or so. Got altitude sickness at about 13,000. There's a pretty funny photo on Facebook of uh, my, my parents and my sister and I. And they're right about 13,000, and they look like they're all having a great time. I look like I'm just about to Ralph. Um, I don't remember it too well. Other than my dad would say, we realized you had altitude sickness. And they picked me up and carried me back down to the trailhead and and uh, figured uh, we waited a year or two. And then uh, did a 12-er outside of Lake City called Red Mountain. Did well on that. And then uh, went back a year later. I think it was eight. I uh, did Handies and then Wetterhorn like a year or two later. I think it was nine or ten. Um and yeah, my dad and uncle and um, grandfather were all into mountaineering quite a bit, and so that was kind of where that kind of was just a staple. Anytime we were down there in Lake City, they were always going to climb something, and That's so funny. I was always excited to go join them finally. So you said something about your mom on uh, wooden skis, like it's totally in your blood. Oh gosh, it's on your mom's side too. Yeah, so it was uh, my mom's uh, dad, so my grandfather. He, um, I remember him telling stories, um, talking about skiing Mount Evans during World War II, and so he was in the Navy. And when they would come back um, for break or shore leave or whatever, um, he was saying, yeah, basically, I mean, at that time, there weren't any of the ski resorts. And so basically, the only options if you wanted to ski something was you could go up Bertha Pass, Loveland Pass, or drive the road to Mount Evans. And so he was saying, oh, yeah, well, Mount Evans, the, the uh, closest one to Denver, it was even easier. Bertha always had a lot of people, so he went up Mount Evans. And uh, it's funny, I've never seen some skis uh, of his, and yeah, they're you know, wooden with like springs, you know, that, I mean, you look at them, like, I wouldn't strap these up to, you know, ski off somebody's roof, much less the north, north shoots of Mount Evans. Um, but apparently that was quite a pastime back then, and, you know, outstanding. I mean, it was 20 years before Vail came along, so. Wow. And so they must know. have plowed it up a lot higher than they do. I, I think it was the, the, they just caught the opening in the in the spring and then yeah either they would go up to the summit or they would hike from summit Le- or from summit lake up what now is directly to the summit on the left side there and then just ski down it. Okay. All right, right guy, let's get into it. Uh, did you do the 14ers first and then move on to the Centennials, or did you do some of the Centennials concurrently? So what was funny is is that at one point before I finished the 14ers, I actually had more 13ers than 14ers. I remember somebody gave me a hard time and said, hey, you're going to finish the 14ers? And I just kind of been having fun climbing all these 13ers. I just kind of climbed what looked fun that I'd seen from other peaks. I'd go up on something. I remember going up on Sherman and looking across at Sheridan going, that looks fun. You know, let's go climb that. Or looking over at Dyer or Gemini or one of those and was just like, I want to climb that. So it just kind of, I don't know, I kind of almost got distracted for a while. I was just kind of grabbing whatever... That sounds better. Be like fun. that's like enjoying the ride instead of like getting focused on like doing the list yeah. in three years and just like <clears throat> speeding through them. Yeah, it was it was really fun. But yeah, I remember my was like, "Yeah, you're gonna finish," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm probably gonna buckle down and finish the last." <laughs> I think I had like ten or something that final year, and was just like, "Okay." So it was funny when I finished the 14 years. I think I was at 80 something on the Centennials total. Like I'd already hmm. done a good chunk of them, so it was just kind of a focusing on the 14 years, finish those, and then the following year. Hmm. Kind of when I took aim at all the rest of the Centennial. So that's a huge accomplishment. Con- congratulations! That was just last year, right? Uh, yes, or, last year on Jagged. Awesome. That's perfect. Is there a reason? Just kind of as a side note, I'm curious. Is there a reason you seem to prefer winter ascents more than the other times of the year? You have a lot of winter climbs under your belt. You know, it, it's interesting. There's a couple reasons. Um, some of it is it's just it's totally different. It's kind of like a you know if you're like a gamer, I call it a difficulty multiplier um, because it's just there's different animals out. You still see the pika and the ptarmigan. Um, 
you know, but you see the bighorn sheep and the mountain goats, they're still out. Uh, marmots are not. And a lot of the other animals down low, you really don't have to worry about. Of course, bears are hibernating, and a lot of the other animals are as well. But it's kind of, it's just cool because there aren't many people around, so you get to really see kind of, when you're down in the trees, you kind of see things a little more naturally. And then the other thing I always liked was just the views, the way that snow just really added the contrast of some of the views. And kind of just, especially on a nice, you know, sunny day with some kind of some broken clouds, it can kind of add some texture, mm-hmm. likewise to the, the surrounding. Just, it's incredible. And if you get a good winter day, I mean, there's, it's hard to beat that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had some bad winter days where I've just got my butt handed to me, and I've been like, why do I do this? You know, as I'm tucking tail and trying not to get frostbite. Get start um, quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but there's, there's definitely been some days that even though it was calendar winter. Like it was, I mean, every bit as nice as a summer day as far as like just on the summit, a base layer, no wind, nobody there, mm. um, you know, and it just, it, it was kind of one of those just very pristine, very fun experiences. And on top of that, with the snow, it really changes the dynamic because some of the trails um, in the summer, which I'll take Mount Bross as an example, um, you know, is known for just the ball bearing scree coming mm-hmm. down that thing if you're doing the loop uh, clockwise or trying to struggle up it if you're going counterclockwise. And yeah, you had a nice big thick layer of snow in there that's pretty solid. I mean, you can just walk up that with micro spikes or crampons, depending on which peak you're on, and it's a piece of cake. And then on top of that, you can glissade down some sections, again, mm-hmm. snow conditions depending. Like, it just, it's a totally different experience. And so it's the same peaks you know and love, mm-hmm. but like a totally different take on them, you know? So for so. <clears throat> some of our listeners that may be trying to get into winter climbing, a lot of it's, it can be really daunting. Mm-hmm. You know, you have less hours in the day. Uh, or less hours of daylight, <laughs> I should say. You know, avalanche, danger, cold, <laughs> things like that. Um, so it can be daunting for a lot of Longer. people, but it's a, it's a really rewarding trail, experience. Eh? So what piece of advice would you offer to any of our listeners that are trying to get into winter climbing? Yeah, the biggest thing, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, is you know definitely find some folks um, that are experienced with it and go with them. Um, you know, I certainly, even though when I first was kind of interested in doing it in the snow, and I, the reason was I was just kind of like, why, why am I taking the six, seven months and not climbing? Like, <laughs> this seems kind yeah. of dumb. Like, I like climbing. Like, why can't I keep climbing? Did you want a stair climber in the gym? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I was just kind of like, what? I'm like, you know. Nah, dude. Stair climber. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you just nah, dude, yeah. <laughs> nah, dude, nah, dude, nah, dude. What you say, I can't outdo it. You said it was tough. I say nothing to it. What you did was cool. You're a stair climber person. No, hey, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> she's a split board person. Right. Oh. Strictly. Strictly. Man, she's going to get a nod, dude. In. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, so I was kind of fortunate that you're know, getting to spend some time with um, with Britt and a couple friends of his. And one of his buddies was Steve Gladbach, um, who he had finished all the 14 years in winter, uh, I think two years before I met him. Um, and so when we were doing some of these centennials kind of toward the end of the, uh, this would have been the end of 2011, or no, into 2012. Um, yeah, a lot of these were, it was just starting to get into winter, you know, and I kind of realized like, oh, this is totally doable if you have the right gear and management. But, you know, again, um, I was very fortunate that, you know, I got a chance to talk to the folks and say, okay, what do I bring? You know, what stuff do I need to be careful of? And, you know, and they really took time to, you know, kind of walk me through some of the stuff in winter that you wouldn't, and some stuff you don't even think about, other stuff you do. Um, you know, some stuff you do, you think, okay, yeah, I need warmer gear. I need, you know, a little bit more as far as layering. 
you know, food, you need to figure out some way to keep your water from freezing. Okay, you know, those are more common sense. But other ones in terms of even the layering, you want to always stay just warm enough that you're not shivering, but you actually don't want to be too warm because then you sweat and then suddenly you've got a problem. And so it's kind of funny. My always, the rule of thumb I have is like, I want to be just warm enough that if I stop, I get cold. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you're warm when you're hiking, it's a bad thing because, again, you're going to sweat, you're going to soak your base yeah. layer, and at some point, that's going to suddenly start working against you. Mm. Um, and I remember the first couple of climbs I did, I didn't really understand that too much. And sure enough, you know, I was just freezing cold on the way down and was like, why am I so cold? Mm. You know, I thought that the solution was, oh, we'll just put more on. Well, that makes it worse. <laughs> um, you know, and so um, what I've come to find out I just seem to sweat a lot. Um, so I, you know, <laughs> one of the deals in winter, I actually carry three or four base layers and I'll usually change them several times on the hike. So I'll usually about after two, three hours, I'll actually, you know, sometimes it's a little cold, but you know, pull everything off, pull off my top base layer and put that on the outside of my pack, hope it dries. Sometimes it freezes solid and falls off at the end of the climb. Um, you know, I'm changing to a dry one and you know, and then I'll go for another couple hours and it just depends. Wow. So even things like that, but again, I wouldn't have learned that if it wasn't for talking to people and, and, and um, being familiar with it. Same thing with avalanche terrain. I mean, some stuff's obvious. You look at slopes and you go, okay, yeah, that slid before. I can you know, see why this would slide. Um, but then there's other places that are very benign and they can get you in a lot of trouble. And like when we were up there, Jace, uh, you know, below Kelso Ridge. Yeah. yeah, that, I mean, people always think, oh, grazing tories are a great, you know, great, uh, easy thing in the summer. Why wouldn't winter be any different? Right. And it's funny because Kelso has killed a number of people <laughs> that walk up that standard summer trailhead. And those slopes of a Kelso are perfect 38 degrees. There's no terrain, no vegetation to hold that snow on. And so, yeah, it lets loose and suddenly you're gone. Um, so I always tell people, you know, go with some, some experienced folks, you know, and have, have them, you know, show you the ropes. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly do research on your own, but there's nothing that beats experience of somebody that kind of takes you under their wings and, and walks you through that. For sure. I've so. always been a huge advocate, um, you know, Chris warned me not to turn this into an avalanche <laughs> conversation, so this is going to be my one plug for this. But I, I've been a huge proponent of getting your Area 1 Absolutely. class. Um, even what, if you're what just is it? Area, it stands for American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education. It's mm-hmm. kind of the governing body for um, everything avalanche-related in sort of North America. It's kind of the standard for your Level 1 you know, certification and, and onward. But uh, And you and Tayjack? Yeah, I've got my Level 2. Taylor has her 1. You know, If you recreate in the mountains at all, in the winter period, snowshoeing, ice fishing, like huh. literally you should get your Hunting. level one. <laughs> yep. Um, so but that's that's kind of my plug for that. But I wanted to ask you too also about uh, sort of the mentor thing. So you mentioned mm-hmm. finding somebody who's more experienced. Um, you know, obviously we met you through Nick who Chris met on the forum. So 14ers.com is a great place to find mentors. Do you have another recommendation as to how people could kind of step out and find somebody that would take them under their wing? You know, that's always a hard thing, too, because some people, you know, it's a challenge, especially if you're you know, more on the introverted side and don't just, you know, reach out and do that. I, uh, you know, I'm sure Nick uh, probably, you know, give me a hard time a little bit. He's kind of very similar outgoing. We're both very outgoing personalities that, yeah, at a social gathering, I mean, you know, it's fun to make my rounds. I'll talk, hey, how are you? You know, but a lot of people, that's a hard thing. So just even, you know, stepping out and asking somebody can be difficult. I usually tell people, you know, post on the forum, um, you know, that's the, the climbing connection on there. There's What's nice about 14ers.com itself is you can also look at somebody. You can see their peak list, you know, trip reports that they've written. And, and so you really have a good idea of kind of what their climbing resume is like in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, some of my most, I would say, most experienced and best partners I met that way. 
Um, the other thing, though, is, is, you know, get involved in the social events. Um, so 14ers.com, there are, um, we do happy hours. Uh, basically, it's usually first first Thursday of every month is Denver. Um, the third Thursday is Boulder. In fact, actually, this next coming Thursday is the Boulder Happy Hour. I'm hosting that one. Um, we right. have Colorado Springs. Uh, that one's going to be at Waterloo in Looseville. You just rotate different bars or breweries? Or- yep. I always try to pick Boulder, Lafayette, Looseville, just Boulder County in general. So I always try to pick a, a brewery that's, you know, I always try to go for at least good parking, food, and good beer. I usually am happy with two out of the three. If I get all three, <laughs> great. And, you know, the other thing is there is it gives you an opportunity to come and meet people. You know, and just strike a conversation. Everybody loves mountaineering. Um, so, you know, when you, you get down to that at a table, and I mean, even it's something simple as, hey, you know, have you done this peak before? Have you, I mean, even if it's that simple and you just start talking to people and can figure out, hey, is this somebody that, you know, knows not only knows what they're doing, but then, you know, somebody that you click with, and that's a big thing. You know, when you're, especially in winter, when you're hiking with somebody, you got to, you know, got to be hiking with, in my opinion, somebody that you click with and you guys get along. You know, so I always say it's a great place to meet people, whether it's just climbing regularly or, you know, to find somebody that's a mentor. And so, yeah, a lot of my other really good partners I've met, either the happy hours and by extension of that, also the um, gatherings that we have. So, like, we have the fall gathering coming up at the end of September down in Lake City. There was a post on the forum uh, by Lemmy Winks, a buddy of mine named Taylor. And uh, he hosted every year. Uh, we, we always do it down there by Lake City in the fall. It's always great because there's five 14ers and, oh, geez, 25, 30, 13ers, um, <laughs> some 12ers in there if you want them to. Um, and then we also have one in the spring that's usually in the Sawatch. And so those are always great as well because you have an opportunity to meet up with somebody mm-hmm. and then join somebody on a climb. And usually everybody that's doing it, there's a lot of experienced folks there. And a lot of times, especially if they've already climbed everything in the area, they'll go to just do something that's fun to repeat and they're happy to have somebody tag along. Um so again, it's kind of one of those things of don't be afraid to just reach out and ask. I mean, I've seen some people post before and just say, hey, I'm pretty new. Here's what I've done. I want to do this. Would anybody be willing to help? And, you know, again, you'll usually get at least a few responses. People say, yeah, no problem. Let's meet up and, you know, hey, let's see what we can, we can work out. Awesome. So then they can give you a trail name. Exactly. <laughs> Move the conversation into the forum and online stuff. But I first want to talk about some winter stuff. Do you winter camp? I do. Um, some of the peaks, and actually, kind of gotten to the point where I think I've done most of the most of the ones that are day climbs already. Um, and some kind of a lot of the peaks that I have left on the list. Um, you do a, lot it two days. Gonna, a lot of them are going to be probably probably at least two days. Some of them three. Like I actually last you know, winter, I was going to try for Mount Lindsay. I tried for it four years ago, and we got turned around by avalanche conditions at the gully, and it was too windy to go up the ridge. And so, like Lindsay, for example, when you do it in winter. Typically, it's about a 22-mile day. You have to start. You have to start below Singing River Ranch. Um, so even if the road, which is often actually dry in sections, but it's all blocked lower down, and so you have to park below the ranch. Usually, you walk through like a half mile in the trees, and that's usually snow drifts that you couldn't get through the vehicle. But then the road's dry for another four miles up towards the Pata. So and you that's take a your crappy drive. Off. I don't even like driving. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a um, actually there's a funny uh, thing on my Facebook album. Uh, I think it's uh, Lindsay in winter, visiting Mount Lindsay in winter, and yeah, we walked literally like four miles on that stinking road, dry with our snowshoes on our backs. But as soon as you get up by Zapata and back into the trees again, oh, we had three, four foot snow drifts. Wow. And, I mean, the snowshoes were absolutely essential. Um, and so that one, just to get to the meadow that you walk into right after you start in the summer, you're already at like eight miles right there. Oh wow! So course, like, there's just gonna be a full day, and then you need to right. camp there. <laughs> so like, yeah. So like, when we did, we went in there, set up camp, camped, and then the next day we have to. And a lot of times, if nobody's been up there, you got to break trench. <sighs> so this is not one of my favorite things. Uh, there's been a couple times I've just been like, oh my gosh. 
Um, you know, if it's deep powder, I mean, you basically take turns going forward and busting for a while. And, and then switch the person, positions, yeah. Yep, you rotate, say, yeah. and it's, I mean, uh, there is... There That's are, it's nice to have, like, three, four people in your group. Yes. And luckily, you can probably recall where all the standard, roughly where the trails are. Yeah, and some... Yeah. You'd be surprised. It's funny. There's actually some peaks I have not even done the standard route. Handy's an example. I've done Handy's three times. I've never done the standard. Interesting. I've done a winter route, which is over on the, it'd be the kind of the south side up a ridge. It goes class three, actually. There's a short class three section in there. Handy's does have a fun little... Uh, and then I've done the American Basin route twice, but I've never done it from Grizzly Gulch. Uh, Missouri, I've never done the standard route. I've done the you West Missouri Ridge five, five times. times. Okay. Yep. I've done it every time. I've gone up there. What's the sequel we'll What's West Ridge? West Ridge, uh, Missouri. Uh, so you go up towards Closey Lake. So it's the valley between Huron oh, and yeah, Missouri. Oh, yeah, yeah. And come up. That's okay. You never, yep. you never snow climbed the, the sequel war? Mm-mm. Huh. I, it's one of those things, like, I probably will at some point. Um, I've had quite a few friends that do it. I'm like, how did it just go do it? It's there. You know, I just got to go do it. But, yeah, no, there's there's actually a, a couple of weeks that I have not done any of the standard routes on. I've just always done alternate. And it's not like it was intentionally that way. It just kind of worked out. Mm, this is the um, I've never done Mount Massive standard. I've done the Southwest Slopes, and I've done the Fish Hatchery in winter. But never done the, oh. was it, 60-mile yeah. standard route. Ryan and why our, would you? Is Ryan our mascot? <laughs> no. Non-standard. No. No. Yeah. 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 No, it's a namesake. namesake. Trying to think, I'm trying to think of some other ones that I've, I have not done the standard that I've done. I still want to talk about Winter 14 before we transition up there. Anyway, do you, they, do you like igloo? Or do you build snow caves? Do you tent? or there, Usually igloos, I mean, I've seen some people do that. I haven't. I don't have those those sort of skills. I'd love to learn one day. Um, I've seen Bill Middlebrook actually build some pretty incredible igloos. I have an igloo maker. Cool. I bought one. You ever see Igloo Eddie on the on the 14er? I, oh, yeah, yeah. And he posts some incredible photos on the forum. He, he, has like, a, he can buy his device. Yeah, and he's, oh like, he sells goodness. an igloo maker. I mean, well, in every, front yard. This, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, you know, he always posts something that says, let's see your igloos. And it's a great forum topic because, yeah, you always look at this and I'm like, wow, I'm unaccomplished compared to these guys. That's yeah. right. It's high risk, too. If you go up there, you go like, i got to build this before dark. Oh, I slept in a half, though. They oh, and make sure there's no quality. I mean, I know, that's like one where that's like next level. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have those kind of... What's that? I not, no. I, you just not, dude. We hiked up three miles into Antero in the winter and built three layers of the igloo and then it got dark and it got wet. So. It was just a windbreak. It was. It was lucky it was the perfect day. Luckily you had some strong whiskey with you and I yeah. a blanket. We had a thing of Yukon Jack. Oh wow. And we were sitting in our sleeping bags underneath the stars like cold and we turned it and looked, read the back of Yukon Jack and I swear to God it said like for those frozen nights when your fire won't light and you're in a half-built igloo. <laughs> and the first line of Yukon Jack is like, for those frozen nights when your fire won't start. And we're like, oh my God. It's like, <laughs> we're like, we're, we're like, where's the marketing team here? They're, we're living this here. Like, Fuck, I filmed this commercial. So Yukon oh. Jack is a sweet spot in our hearts for oh my winters. There, winter camping is one of those, like, I actually really enjoy it. And there's, it. I will be honest, there's kind of a... In order for it to be enjoyable, there's a couple things you have to have. Maybe, first of all, you got to make sure you have the gear to stay warm and stay dry. Um, but two, I also feel like you, you got to kind of understand some of the things that go with it and make sure you're, you're signed up for this. Um, it's one, one of my favorite things about it is you know you really can get to know some of your friends super well because by the time the sun goes down and you're getting set up in camp and you make dinner after that, you got nothing to do sometimes for 12 hours. You know, even if let's just say the sun goes down near the solstice a little after four, and most of the time you're in a mountain valley, so it's going to be even you know darker a little before that. Um, by the time, even if you've got tent set up, everything, dinner, seven o'clock rolls around, and I mean you've got nothing to do, but you're probably not going to be going to sleep for a while. And then the sun doesn't come up till seven, and in the winter, most of the time there's no point in getting up before the sun. Um, I mean sometimes if you know it's going to be a long day, sure. 
Um, you know, but if it's a shorter day, you know, I call it a standard 14 er day, like, yeah, no reason not to go out there when it starts getting a little warm. Um, and again, I'll, I'll caveat that with it really depends on the peak, the route, the distance, et cetera. Right. But, um, you know, so a lot of times, you know, yeah, you, you've got a lot of time to kill. And so it's one of those things. Some of the very best conversations I've ever had with some of my partners have been in a camp, you know, in a tent, in some valley. Apostic. Just, oh, yeah. I mean, you said they're chatting. I mean, there's there even one with, uh, you know, Nick, shout out there to Mongoose, up on Mount Democrat. In fact, uh, we, we joke about this because we... We looked at the weather forecast going up, and the NOAA forecast had a 0% chance of precipitation. I remember I'd looked at it and said, Nick, we're good. We got a 0% chance. Like, this will be a great, uh, you know, we're going to go from out Democrat in winter. And um, we get up there, we get our tent set up, and right as we're kind of getting dinner ready, I'm kind of going in and out of the tent. I've been, I got my stove out in the vestibule and checking it. Nick gets up and goes out to use the restroom, comes back in and goes, it's snowing. And I'm like, what? You know, there's like 0% chance of precipitation. I mean, like, this means it won't snow. You know, well, you can stick your head out there and look, but it's snowing. And I'm like, just like blown off the peak or something? Like, come on. You know, I know we're supposed to have some winds tonight, but like this is supposed to be, you know, nothing, nothing doing. And then we'll have a great day tomorrow. Oh, yeah. We ended up getting like nine inches of snow that night. <laughs> howling winds. Um, I had a brand new Hilleberg Tara. I was really glad we had that because the winds were just wicked. Um, what is that? Tent? It's yeah, it's one of it's one of Hilleberg's strongest tents. It Ferrari is a, of tents. Okay. It's it's a nice tent. It's but the nice thing is it's super super strong. It's like a double dome style, two layer, um, and it's built specifically for real high winds. And it's the only downside is it is heavy. It's uh, packed. It's like ten pounds. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was the downside. I was thinking about that hiking up in there and was like, what's a normal oh, three four? Yeah, Winter maybe five or six. Winter or... yeah, two, when you're getting four season yeah, usually I mean a light. For a season, you're probably talking at least five pounds. Um, you know, if you're getting a little better one, like a Trango, something like that, you can get six, seven, eight, you know, and then again, the heavier ones. So this one, again, it was, I wanted something that, like, I didn't, didn't matter what I was doing, if I was up on Denali or whatever, like, I can, so I got it for more than just Colorado winters, which are comparatively hmm. tame. I wanted something I could take, you know, to Rainier, to Denali, if I ever end up doing it. Aconcagua, those sort of peaks, that they really have some, uh, some serious conditions. So we were testing that. It was the first run. And, um, man, I mean, we basically, we had that thing staked down. We actually set up the camp right next to the bathrooms up there, about the Kite Lake, right below Mount Democrat. And uh, we ended up tying the guy lines to a couple of the posts and signs up there. And, I mean, the wind just howled all night long. I mean, it was just, it was one of those things of, like, glad I had earplugs. And even then, you still wake up in my tent, just, like, flapping back and forth and deforming. And, um... Yeah, I woke up the next morning and, I mean, didn't even recognize where we were. It was just, everything was just a complete, you know, white everywhere. And we no longer had a nice, safe route we could see to the summit. We're like, well, that sucks, you know. Mm. Um, but it was great because, yeah, we, you know, we ended up having like six hours of just great conversation that night, just chatting about all kinds of stuff. And so, I mean, because, again, you have some, you know, you're all there. It's not like you can go anywhere or do anything else. So right. you've got plenty of time to talk about all kinds of stuff that you might not normally ever bring up. Yeah. Does, so your fuel, does your fuel freeze? How do you deal with Doesn't it? Does canisters not work below a certain temperature? They don't. So I, like, I do like using isobutane, yeah. Um, so the, the boiling point of it is about 11 degrees Fahrenheit, which, yeah, so basically if you start getting down low, it won't boil and produce gas, which is what's powering the stove. So so, it doesn't work below 15 or so. Correct. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yep. And even if you get down into the 20s, I mean, you basically have such a reduced pressure that you're, I mean, the stove is at like half power. Because um, the key thing is it's got to boil, turn into gas, and then that gas is slowly, you know, basically pressurizing itself and then feeding into the burner. And so you're relying on that gas or that liquid boiling and turning into a gas at a certain rate to power your stove. 
So, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. One of the things I actually do is the key thing is you got to keep at least one of those cylinders warm. They also have about 20% propane in them to make sure that they can start. So especially if it's new, um, the first part that will burn is all the propane, and that has a much lower temperature. It's like 40 below or something is its boiling point. Um, so the key thing is if you keep that warm enough and then start it, I actually have a little bowl that I will set the stove in so the fuel canister is sitting in this bowl, and the first thing of water, before I get it to actually boil, I'll heat it up to hot tub hot, you know, or dish, dish hot, where it's like not burning your hand, it's warm. And I'll actually pour a little of that in the bowl and then stick the stove with the, on the, basically sitting on the fuel canister in there. Well, that hot water heats the tank and basically starts boiling it, boiling the isobutane in there and basically huh. keeps it pressurized. Mm. Now, the one caveat I'll add on that is you do need to be careful because if you get it too hot, like if you put boiling water in there, yeah, you can blow the tank apart and obviously you got a big problem. Um, but as long as it's warm water, you know, there's, I mean, they, they even, they do have a warning on there. So again, you know, full disclosure of like, the, the lawyer jumps in. For right. Yeah. Do not like, blow yourself asterisk up. here. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you're adding warm water in there, basically what you're doing is you're bringing it up just, you know, a little bit warmer room temperature and it's hmm. causing it to boil and it'll operate normally. Hmm. Um, so I've done a lot of winter trips with that. I did that up on Mount Rainier. Um, the downside is, you know, and this is where, again, Depends on, you know, kind of what your what your personal preference is. You know, the downside is, I mean, if you really get in a bad situation and it's really cold, you know, that could be a liability. So if it's going to get, let's just say if I know the weather forecast is going to be single digits or below, I, at that point I'm probably going to switch over and use like a MSRXGK, you know, with white gas or diesel or something like that. That's is that heavy, heavier, more expensive? Or? They are. They're a little bit heavier. Um, you know, the downside is you have liquid fuel. So if that spills, that's oh, always fun. That's liquid. So what's, what's the but, call on a Brady using when he did Antarctica? So those guys, they're probably using liquid like kerosene. And so what mm. they'll do is because that stuff, that's it basically doesn't... so heavy. Yeah. And, but the downside is so you've got to have like a, an XGK is a pretty decent stove. And then you got to have like a little flame guard around it. You know, and, and that's standard fare on most of the bigger mountains. Um, I mean, okay. yeah, you're not going to see isobutane up there. So like I wouldn't dare take that to Denali or something like that. I mean, or even a uh, no, not even that. I mean, it's, again, it's so anywhere that it's, it's getting cold right, you know, into the single digits or below now. Huh. I mean, here in Colorado, I like I can, that. I can get away with it, but it's one of those things of going into the trip. I know, okay, here's the limitations I have, and I have to keep those, you know, at least one, usually two or three of those fuel canisters warm. So even at night when I get into my sleeping bag, yeah, those fuel canisters are in my sleeping bag at the bottom with me. So then in the morning when I come out, they're body temperature. Mm. You know, now is it a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah, there's been a few times I've all of a sudden kind of shift in the night. I'm like, ow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuel canister, okay. So again, you know, big asterisk that like, yeah, if you're if you're not careful, like you know, it gets too cold. Oh yeah, isobutane just is not going to be the way to go. Even if you keep it warm, it's a losing battle. Hmm. Um, you know, but again, if it's let's just say twenties or something like that. Oh yeah, I've had there's been a couple uh, trips I've done most recently. I remember up on um, either Beerstadt or Mount Democrat that, you know, both days in winter took the stove up and you know made hot tea for everybody up on the summit. Oh, that's you know, cool. I just had the thing in my pack. You know, and it was just nice and warm. I stuck a, I think I taped a, a hand warmer to it, so that way it just, you know, when I brought it out, it was nice and warm. Huh. No big deal. Real That's quick, cool. hooked up the stove and fired it up. That'd be and awesome. It, it boiled for. Yeah, say, follow this guy the around. Guy you want to follow. That's yeah. what Mongoose said when he, we were talking about the ten essentials. Just hike with the people that have right. all the gear. Now here's what's funny. Mongoose probably didn't mention this. He he jokingly calls it. I saved his life on Mount Shivano. Um, I actually had my stove with me up there in the snow. He got over to tab and ran out of water. That was how we met. He came back over, and I was on the summit of Mount Shivano. It was during the spring gathering. I'd heard about him and never met him. And I was sitting <laughs> on the legend. summit, boiling water for a mountain house mac and cheese and some tea. So I'm literally sitting there just boiling water, and here comes this guy walks up to me. He goes, hey, is there any way you could spare some water? I'm out. 
and I looked up at him and I instantly recognized him from his uh, from the forum. And I'm like, dude, I got unlimited water. It's just a question of how much fuel I got, and I got at least 80 minutes because I had a full tank. And <laughs> I said, so you can have as much as you want. How much? You know, what do you want? And he just goes, if I could get a couple liters, that'd be amazing. And I'm like, sure. So I, you know, I let it finish boiling and just you know stuck my teacup aside and poured him a poured him a bottle and ended up refilling his water totally. So yeah, what a he'll, guy. He'll he'll sometimes joke that I quote saved his life on uh, on Shivano, but that was how we met was over that stove uh, on, oh, a, on a trip. You and know, it was being a being a notoriously overprepared guy myself. I totally get that. The other thing I understand is that uh, your friends will rip on you until oh, they yeah. need you. And then it's really nice to hike with the overprepared guy. <laughs> I might have gotten the nickname Kitchen Sink at one point. It has occasionally stuck. I've actually thought about getting like a little Kitchen Sink ornament or something and pulling out and being like, I, got it. <laughs> awesome. I literally have it. That's awesome. But, so you, we've, we've talked a little bit about your resume. I mentioned a couple you know, highlights in, in the intro, but you've spent a ton of time in the mountains, like a couple mm-hmm. lifetimes worth for a lot of people. So I'm curious, what, what has been a highlight for you or maybe your proudest moment in the mountains thus far? So you finish oh, wow. all the 13ers. Well, uh, <laughs> that one, I don't know. I've, I've been told that one can be bittersweet because you realize you put so much time and effort into it. It's you know, almost, I've heard it can sometimes be a little anticlimactic for the 13ers, but uh, we'll see. Golly, that's, that's actually a good one. I mean, there's, that's hard because I feel like I could almost divide it into two different categories and say, for me personally, but then also for like seeing you know somebody else or helping somebody else out with something or being a, a part of something. Like I've been on some really fun 14 or finishers that weren't even mine, mm. um, and you know getting to see some some friends of mine and join them finishing. I got to join Kevin Baker on when he finished the 13ers this last year, and that was an wow. incredible event because he finished on a peak called Fairview. Uh, it's a kind of the southern end of Sawatch, kind of behind Monarch uh, that area. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. And it has a beautiful firehouse on the top, um, and so it's kind of basically you can see the Elks pretty well. You can see the back of the Swatch. You can see the Sangres um, and the San Juan, and it was fun because we basically all met up the night before for kind of a hangout around the campfire, and then kind of a nice gentleman start. I think it was gosh sakes, it was uh, late September, and I think we started at like eight or something. I mean, it wasn't you know no getting up super early. But the people, the group that was on that climb, the experience was just off the charts. We had, I think, three winter finishers, 14er finishers, several other 13er finishers, um, and a a lot of people from the forum that have been there for a long time and contributed a lot. So, I mean, just just getting to be there for me was a huge honor. Hmm. And, you know, and then on top of that, to get to climb up to this peak and, you know, and see this guy, you know, he spent so many years, you know, finish the 13ers on that. It was like, Wow. Um, you know, so I was just honored just to be there. Yeah, uh, I mean, super. you know, so it's fun on that end. And then, you know, again, it sounds a little more selfish on that level for me personally. You know, I'm not counting being there for somebody else on a finisher or, you know, taking a person up their first 14 year sort of thing. Oh, gosh, shakes. Um, finishing on Jagged was pretty awesome. I mean, that was a, um, a lot of people talk about in the 14ers how capital is kind of like the final exam of the 14ers and it kind of tests you know every aspect of your you know your your mountaineering skills of like okay your route finding needs to be solid it's a long hike so either you're doing it as a long day or an overnight um you know the rock falls danger is considerable so you got to make sure you're good as far as you know testing holds and making sure before you commit something you're good you know, and then on top of that, there's the exposure. I mean, the knife edge is something everybody, you know, a lot of people hear about long before they ever know much about capital. People hear about it or see photos of people, you know, crossing the infamous knife edge. 
you know, and it's funny because as much as capital is up there, Jagged takes it up another step. Mm. And it's again, it's one of the centennials, one of the lower centennials. It's not even one of the high ones. Um, but it's got, at least currently, it has uh, four class five pitches on it. Um, and it's just, it's one of those, like everything, I mean, just to get to it. Uh, in our case last year, the train wasn't running, so we had to hike from Valley Seat to Reservoir, so it was a long way in there. Oh, this is Chicago Basin, is that where you're this goes, you, So this is actually behind Chicago Basin, a little bit north of. And if you, even if you take the train, you actually have to get off at Needleton there and then hike up the river for a while. The Durango Serpentine. Yep. To... It's in that same area. So if you're in Chicago Basin, Jagged is, it kind of looks like a giant porcupine silhouette to the north. It is unmistakable if you see it um, because it's just got little, it looks like a big hump with all these spires mm. sticking out of it. In fact, there have been people that have gone out and climbed and climbed, climbed the wrong one and ended up not on the summit, but oh. a little bit below. Um, just trying to jump between the two. It is, and even looking up at it from the bottom, like it is confusing as all heck as of which one's the real summit. And There's it's probably not, not a lot of bait on it either. It, I mean, for all things considered, there's a decent amount, but as far as the Centennials go, I mean, yeah, it still doesn't see as many visitors as the 14ers by a long shot. You know, not only because of how remote it is, but how difficult it is to, to get to, and then how difficult the terrain itself is. And it's, so it's one of those things of, like, being able to go back after, you know, long, I mean, I'm trying to think here, I started Centennials in 2012, so, you know, basically after six years of working hard on the 14ers and the Centennials and being able to go back there with some of my closest friends, Hike in with the train not running. That meant that we basically had a thirty-mile round-trip hike, oh. um, and you know, basically to go way back in there. I mean, we, it was two days just to get to camp below the peak, and then we had another day to climb it, come back to camp, break camp, try to hike a ways down, and then another day to go out. We also spent another day um, waiting for some friends, so we went and did some other peaks nearby as well. But like, it just it took. It took really like top-notch effort in, in everything we were doing as far as the route finding needed to be solid. We had to have solid rope work. There are some people that will go up without ropes. I mean, you certainly could, um, but it's definitely a good idea. Jagged, uh, there have been some deaths on it. Um, but being able to finish that and kind of the culmination of you know, all these years of going after not only the 14ers, but then the Centennials, like that was that was pretty amazing. I got a lot... I'm not one to get emotional, but I did get a little emotional on the summit. That's There's awesome. A, buddy took a video, and I was glad I was wearing my glacier glasses. I was a little, little <laughs> teary-eyed. You know, if you're really paying attention to the video, you can kind of hear my voice crack a little bit. But, like, it was just kind of one of those things of, like, it just, I felt like it was like kind of like that final exam of, you know, I've always kind of said that the 14ers, I feel like, are like college, and then the Centennials are kind of like getting a master's degree in grad school. Hmm. Um, you know, it's a lot so of our class five, a lot require ropes. There, there are three, could be four, depending on how you want to do it, um, that usually are done with ropes. So Dallas Peak, which is right next to Sneffels. Okay. Um, the final section is a class five, four, I believe. Um, and then typically to get off of it, you do a 90-foot rappel off the summit down through a giant hole with a chalk stone and then come down right at the base of the summit tower. Wow. It's a really fun oh, rappel. Is it's it a just really... a free rappel? Like you're just... Yep. Yeah, it's a little like when you first start going over, it's like, oh boy, I hope this will be okay. Everything, you know, <sighs> even though we checked everything three or four times, I remember kind of when I first started to go over, going, all right. You kind of do that first, like, okay. So is there, like, good. a bolted anchor? How do you... It is bolted. Okay. Yeah. okay. And there's... Well, actually, sorry. Sorry. Jagged is bolted. Dallas has a big sling around a giant rock and then just a ring. Kind of Little Bear so, style. With the, yeah. Yeah. Kind of similar. Um, so that one's fun. And again, Dallas, if you're on Sneffels, you look to the west, it kind of looks... It doesn't even look that really descript um, when you're looking at it. Um, but the summit tower is about 90 feet above the rest of the peak. And so that's that last hard section. Wow. Um, oh, okay. So, so that's... What about is the Sunlight Spire? Uh, 
Centennial? So it's a, it is unranked, and then technically it's a 14-year. So the last datum put it at 14,000 even. Ooh, so it's shoot. it's basically one of the sub-summits. So if you're if you're really counting the 14-ers, there's some drop? people that'll say 74. Because if you count the all the unranked bumps, oh, it's kind of like a sub-summit of sunlight. And so, yeah, it's not not enough to be ranked. I'm trying to remember. It's like 240 feet or something Looks like, like you're that. coming to Chicago Basin. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. But it's a, let's see it from Volacita. Yeah. What's the Volacita? Oh, man. Yeah, that's a long... Although this year, with all the avalanche, damn it. I mean, there was avalanche not, last year. He's just shaking your head. No. Oh, it's beautiful back in there. But, man, like, it, you like wow. let's take a it train. is way in there. So anyway, Dallas, that's Dallas is one. The other one, which is ironically on the other side of Snapples, is Tea Kettle. Um, that one also much shorter, and it's a good warm-up for Dallas. It's like a 25-foot summit block. And usually most people can free climb it going up, but then you want to repel going down. Um, yeah. So that's pretty standard. <laughs> tea um, Kettle? That sounds like such a harmless name, but it sounds hard. Right, yeah. And Tea Kettle is actually super cool. You look at it, and from Snapples, it, it looks pretty daunting because it's kind of like this big pile, this little... And it's actually got a little hole in a rock formation, like very visible from Snapples if you're looking for it. And it's a hole in the rock. You can go stand in there, and it's probably about eight foot in diameter. Really? Huh. And it's incredible to go up there. And at one point, pre-2011, there was a piece on the north side that looked like a spout that stuck off. So it literally, from the side, cool. looked like a little coffee pot or a teapot, tea kettle. Huh. And so okay. what's incredible about it is, yeah, like you look at it and it's like funny, the part, the part of the north that used to be the spout fell away in 2000, winter 2011, I think it was. Huh. Um, there was a post about it on the 14ers.com forum. So yeah, that piece isn't there, but the little handle part is. And it's really fun because it's right below the summit. And so when you, right before you get to the summit tower, you can go walk over into that stand in there. And it's kind of a, when you do tea cool. it's a really fun, like you see, like, oh, I got to get in that thing. <laughs> stand up there. Here's the handle. Yep, there it is. Oh, oh wow. wow. That's in Colorado? Yeah. Yep, that's, that's right incredible. next to Sneffles is right behind it there. Really? And Dallas is actually in the background there. You can see too. Dallas is kind of I only know that because I literally read a trip report on it today. So yeah, so tea is class five. And then the other one that typically is is jagged. Um, you can do Vestal Peak via what's called the Wham Ridge, and that's Class 5. Uh, it has a standard Class 3 route if you want to do that. But like, Where's Vestal? You know, Vestal is in the Grenadiers, so it's north of Chicago Basin. Two and the same one still again. Yep. Yeah, and those are those are kind of the ones that are the Class 5s, and the, except typically you'll bring a rope. But, again, there are some people that will free solo them. Even when uh, hmm. Brad McQueen and I were on uh, Wham Ridge, we had some guys that free soloed right by us. I mean, if you're comfortable with it and know you won't fall, I mean, hey, have at it. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of happy to have the protection. I kind of feel like, you know, I want to live to be old and do a lot of these, so I feel like, you know, protection's the way to go, but... You know. It's like my dad told me that when I was a teenager. <laughs> Always use protection. It's for more than one reason, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's funny. So you've, uh, you've mentioned the, the forum a handful of times, but one thing we haven't talked about is sort of the the new craze of the 14ers.com Facebook page. And I know mm-hmm. that's one thing that we had talked about you with a little bit off the air, but we'd kind of like to touch on that a little bit because, sure. um, yeah, it's kind of a, an interesting little phenomenon. So we've we've got the 14ers.com forum and now the Facebook page, which has 30,000 members or thereabouts. Just shy of, yeah, no, so can you, for, for the viewers or the, sorry, the listeners that might not be familiar, for starters, can you kind of compare and contrast the two and why the Facebook page now Sort of the differences between the two. Sure. Now there as an admin, sorry, I don't know if I mentioned that <laughs> yet. Um, no, that it's uh, so that it kind of, and it, I think it's important to kind of note too of like the forum. Forum definitely came first, and the Facebook group was basically was originally when it was created was kind of more of just a social media presence, if you will. 
Um, I think that uh, you know the the first idea was just like, hey, let's just have a, a Facebook presence. Um, and this is back in I want to say it's 2011 um, when Bill and several other people uh, decided to go ahead and create it and set it up. And initially. It was definitely fairly small, and it was really kind of only a handful of people that joined, and they were usually pretty active forum folks, and they would kind of join, oh, here's the Facebook you know, group too, great. Um, I remember I joined, I want to say it was 2013, it was a little later on, uh, 2013, 20, it was probably late 2013, early 2014, I'd have to go look. Um, and I think it, basically, again, it you know, was originally just kind of supposed to be more of an offshoot and just a presence, you know, online. Nothing really more, but still kind of point people to 14years.com. Um, what I think wasn't expected was just the incredibly explosive growth. In the last two years, even. Oh, like, just, like it's like oh. tripled in size. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, it. I, again, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those amazing phenomenons to watch in the sense of, yeah, I mean, social media is so ubiquitous these days that I think, um, you know, anybody that... I would dare say, I mean, Facebook is so easy to use. Most people, most people have it, especially if they're, you know, let's just say 40 and younger. Even then, there's still a lot of people that are in their 50s and 60s that use it. Um, you know, I have a gentleman that shows up pretty regularly to the Boulder County Happy Hour. He's in his 70s, and he's on the Facebook group and active, and he comes to the happy hours. And, like, I'm just like, wow, impressive. You know, I want to be that savvy when I'm 70. You know? And he like, prefers wow. Facebook over the forum. I never heard him say that he prefers it, but he's most. I usually see him post and, and uh, interact with things on the, the Facebook group. And there's a couple of folks that are even older than that. There's a uh, there's a gal who she hasn't posted much in a while named um, Pat Escos, and she used to post. I think she's got to be in her mid 80s now. Used to climb a lot in the 50s, and a lot of times would post old photos from 50s, 60s, oh, and 70s that's super of these climbs. And it, like, I mean it. It always was fun to see when she uh, posted something because it was, I mean, total time capsule. And it was a look into how things used to be. And she would talk about, you know, and she'd always write a little story. And if you search on the, on the uh, Facebook group, you can find a lot of these. Just search for I've Pat. I think, it's e, I think it's E-S-C-O-Z is how you spell her last name. Um, every time she'd do that, she'd always post whatever the story was of what they were doing and how they got the peak and how they, you know, struggled to find the trailhead because there wasn't a good map. It was it was incredible to see. So I mean, there's definitely people that are older using it too, but obviously most commonly among our age group here. Um, yeah, it's just I mean it's grown out of control, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people join it, and it, it, we still try to focus. You know, the admin team tries to keep the focus on 14ers.com if you're looking for information, and say, look, you know, 14ers.com. It's been built from the ground up with. You know, not only trip reports, I mean, there's like 14 or 15,000 trip reports. I mean, there's a trip report for most peaks that are out there, whether it's in Colorado or even some of the well-known ones outside. Which is why I don't um, even bother to write them, because there's a trip report for everything. Right, and I, I would always tell people, I mean, still write, still write reports. And I mean, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, sure, I mean, they're some of the best trip reports I've ever seen. There were certainly other trip reports before it. But whoever it was always contributed something unique. Sure. Um, there's a particular guy who passed away several years ago um, who was also a guy that uh, climbed with a couple times and looked up to a lot. His name was, on the forum, was Dances at Moonrise. Uh, his real name was Jim Dinopoli. He's a really good photographer, wasn't he? He was incredible. Um, and, in fact, uh, they actually, after his death, they pu published a book of all his trip reports. Mm, um, that's cool. Which is really cool. I have it on my, have it on my desk. Um, but if you ever go look at his trip reports, I mean, he certainly was not the first to do trip reports on a lot of these peaks but his photography was so good that even if it was Mount Bross 
he it could, was Jim, like Jim could the moon make it or look something. His tent was glowing and like the stars oh, were shining. Oh. And what's the name of his book? So uh, it's literally called Dances at Moonrise. Okay. He okay. was a yeah. He was an ER doctor, as I recall correctly, and uh, he got cancer and cancer. passed away. Okay. Um, he was one of the co-founders of the Winter Welcomer, which we still do. He was, uh, but he was big on the forums. He would he would huge. comment on a lot of people's like I think I probably comments on my trip reports of mm-hmm. just hey that, congratulations and thanks for oh, really active data and cool showed up shot of the West Ridge or whatever. He was, he was a really nice, very jovial guy. Um, like I said, I always loved to help people. Um, and yeah, he was like, it's just it, one of those type of folks that just love to see people succeed. And yeah, he, again, he was, he was very active. It was one of those things. Yeah, the winter welcomer, he was definitely, he, winter was one of his callings that he really liked uh, doing. I think when he passed away, he had 43 peaks in winter done. Um, I have no doubt he would have finished if he had, uh, if he had, had you know, been around for a few more years. Um, but yeah, his trip reports, like I always love going and looking at them. I mean, even though I've read quite a few of them multiple times, like they're just, you look at the photography and it's like, oh my goodness. You know, so that, again, I always will tell people, don't ever be afraid of writing trip reports. Right. Like, you know, again, there's always things that people, different people have to contribute. And, Form you know, of journaling, if nothing else. Yeah. So and providing that, information. Like that was right. Bill Motorbook's plan, right? You can post a selfie, but your selfie has to be in a trip report providing information about the conditions or the route or the what you learned so you can provide information so it enhances everyone else's. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the crux of this entire conversation is like with with the addition of the Facebook group, has that sort of taken away the art of the trip report and of the detailed things like that when you can just post a picture for a like and not have to put together a full report? That one's a hard one. I think I think a lot of the... I mean, I think I think the people that actually care enough that they want to really share the full experience of what they had, they'll still write a trip report and, and still do. You know, the people that are doing the, hey, I'll post five photos and see how many likes I can get, <laughs> you know, they're probably, they're not as interested in sharing the story more as, a, you know, whether it's a personal or it's they're just given a conditions report. Hey, great, what, you know. Um, I think, again, it's, it's a totally different crowd. I think the people that really want to share their story in a good I don't want to say a good way, but in a you know a fully fledged way, they'll still write a trip report. I mean, there's been some people that have I have seen post some photos before, and I'm like, wow, your photography is really good. And they wrote a fair bit of a story just with the post, and I've either I'll message them privately or just comment and say, hey, you know, consider writing a trip report. I've actually been shocked. I've had a few that have taken me up on it, and out comes this really awesome trip report, and I'm like, whoa, awesome great you know and then, then the trip report that's a nice thing and again we're all differentiate the facebook group with the forum great now the trip report is in the library of 14ers.com and anybody else can read it whereas the facebook page because that's more day-to-day i mean that's kind of like the real-time pulse you know if you want to know how conditions were you know yesterday great let's put it up on the on the uh, 14ers.com actual page but you know if you're on the facebook group okay sure i mean you know we we encourage everybody to use 14ers.com, but we realize some people just aren't, you know, yeah. so if they want to, great. But again, social media is really day-to-day. I mean, it's not even a page. We sometimes, especially in the summer, we can average 30 to 40 posts a day. So, I mean, if you post something in the morning, I mean, it might be buried by late evening. Hmm. It's mean, darn near impossible to search. Right. And that's the thing is Facebook, I mean, it really isn't designed. I mean, again, it's designed to be real-time. It isn't designed to be a repository or a library. And so that's why we try to... As much as we can, we try to differentiate and tell people, hey, if you're just looking to chit-chat and interact, great, Facebook's there, you know, have at it. Um, you know, that's what it really does well. But then if you're looking for information and you want to dig and stuff, the trip reports, even conditions reports, trailheads, routes, 
all that. That go to the website. It's a giant library, and it's easily searchable. It's all categorized. It's all laid out, you know, in a beautifully organized way, yeah. you know. And that's where I kind of sit there, and you know, and I always try to differentiate and tell people like, if you're really researching, go to fourteeners.com. Right. It's been built from the ground up to have all that information. You know, the Facebook group, hey, that's more of a like, you know, cool, come share, you know, come share the photo of you and your dog on the summit. You know, please bring the sign down. Um, no signs know. for a while, right? You know, we, yeah, <laughs> that, for a while, so it, for a while what was happening is we had so many people that was all they would post, where they would just post a photo of themselves holding this cardboard sign, you know, and it was just kind of like, Generic yeah, 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 I'm, I'm grabbing one of the, the gifts the here. Beer <laughs> you know, gotta hold, hold it. Probably <laughs> the only time you'll see me holding the, the summit sign. Um, holding the summit sign. Photo. Yeah, yeah. Quickly, photo quickly. Yeah. Hold it up. Um, Dude, but you know, for a second. But it, you know, it's kind of like uh, an actual photo. It's a little scary. Incriminating here. Yeah. Get thrown out of the admin group for this. Posting up for the Facebook page. Don't do it. Oh, yeah, oh, so no, that'd be fun. It would be one, we had so many people doing that that it, it kind of was one of those things. It was starting to take away from the value on the site because you would literally go on and there would be thirty or forty posts, literally from Mount Beardstack, Grays and Tories, and Quandary, plus you know random smattering of the Decalibron peaks. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, yeah, the Mount Sherman thrown in for good measure, you know. And not that those peaks aren't good, but it like it kind of after a while you're just like, I'm seeing the same post over yeah. and over. And so for a while, we just banned the summit signs outright entirely. And the reason wasn't just the page. We also looked at it and were realizing this is when we were, it was really starting to become a problem with they were getting left. We'd have people that would be, be posting and saying, hey, right. And we, we wanted to, you know, that's one thing that on the page we, we've taken fairly seriously. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I won't speak for everybody on the page, but, you know, we, we've tried to be very unapologetic about the fact we want to do things right and support the you know right way to leave no trace. You know, we all care about these mountains. We want to make sure that they're there and they're in a, you know they're in pristine shape for those that come after us. And you know we don't want it to just be trashed. And you know so one of the things you know as far as leave no trace is like you know if you want to take a sign up great but bring it back down. But a lot of people don't. Um, and so we've tried to so originally we wanted to try to discourage that. And so we we had you know not only the page was getting cluttered but then we had all these people leaving signs. We thought you know what. People are seeing this on the page, and they think, especially newer, okay, I have to go up and do this. This is what everybody's doing, and it just fuels it. And so for a while, yeah, we basically just banned it outright and said, look, you know, if you if you post just a summit sign photo, we're going to delete it. Like, please show us the rest of your hike. Please show us, you know, other people you interacted with. I mean, at least something because otherwise, again, who wants to scroll through? I mean, literally, we were getting 30, 40 posts a day, and it was just literally different people all holding sometimes the same signs. We could tell <laughs> that the sign was getting passed around. Um, you know, then you, somebody would post about it three or four days later and hold it up and say, look at all this trash. And it's like, oh, I, saw, I know where that came from. You know, I saw the Bush and post three days ago. Um, so we initially took that, and then we decided that we were, we wanted to try. A lot of people were giving us blowback saying, well, we like the sign, and it's a fun thing we do, and we were real creative with it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we, we decided to take a vote and said, let's, you know, let's still encourage Leave No Trace, but let's at least back it down and not be quite as authoritarian with it. Uh, we voted, it ended up being, it was a pretty contentious debate within the admins. These are the admins of 14years.com Facebook? Yep. Yeah, we, so we had a, we had a debate you, about right? it. There's seven of us. Yeah. Yep. Bader Ginsburg, one of them? Oh, gosh, no. We, we, we joked about that, and I, uh, I've, I've always pointed Court. out. Yeah, so we, I know. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> we always wanted there to have an odd number, so that way, yes, whenever we vote on something, that we wouldn't have a, a tie break sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, we decided to take a vote and say, what do we allow summit signs? First of all, do we allow them at all? 
And if we do allow them, what would the criteria be? And we ended up kind of compromising on, we'll allow them, if you post them, please post more than that. So you know, show some other photos so it's not just the summit sign. And we would still do as much as we could to make sure that we encourage people, hey, bring it down. You know, here's what Leave No Trace is. So, you know, so we at least still try to educate people. You know, if they still decide to go take it up there and leave it, I mean, that's unfortunate, but there's not a lot we can do. You know, we're not the Forest Service. So, but we want to encourage the good behavior, hey, take it down. And we, we talked about that a little bit on one of our other podcasts with Mongoose about a lot of people just don't think of it. It's not malicious. They're mm -hmm. not leaving it up there because they think it's trash and they don't want to carry it down. A lot of times it's just people who think that that's what you're supposed to do and you're supposed you're to leave it and it's super nice. I'm doing mm -hmm. you a favor because you didn't make a sign. And all of a sudden it becomes, yeah, a piece of trash in a really fragile ecosystem. But right. it's not because they're malicious. It's just because they're not sure. And that's okay. It's... This is just a yeah an education point of if you make a sign that's great just bring it down right and that's what we we tried to and we still do you know in a lot of other other areas as well we try to you know again always educate people on you know basically in terms of everything around it and say hey here's why we don't like it leave no trace and here's why it's important totally um, you know and then we still again we always point people to you know different resources to, you know if that'll help but. You know, we, we figure, give people the information. You know, if they still decide that they want to go do their thing and leave it, like I said, I mean, we're not the Forest Service. We can't, you know, sit there and do anything. Right. Yeah, you know, am I disappointed about it? Sure. But, you know, am I going to sit there and lose sleep over it? No. Well, that's... Know, I'll pick up a bunch when I'm on a summit, but, right. you know. Um, it's It seems like, and you, you touched on this when we were talking about it at the um, Grays event, but it's it's almost a full-time job between the seven of you. I oh, mean, you're, you, there are seven of you that are babysitting a small town of 30,000 people, it seems like. And so, it's, yeah. like that, like, talk a little bit about that. Like, what's what's that like? <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's one of those things that, uh, it, it's interesting. And, you know, when I first got asked to, to join the Evan team, I was like, oh, this will be pretty cool. It shouldn't be too hard. Like, how hard could it be? Famous last words. <laughs> Um, shout out to Top Gear for that one. Um, <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson, you know, wow, what could it be? <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those things that this time of year especially, uh, oh man, it, 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 for all seven of us, it can be a full-time job. And then all of us have actual jobs of themselves. And so what we try to do is we try to kind of divvy it up and just the way that uh, you know, a lot of our schedules are, um, usually someone always has time to keep an eye on stuff. And so we kind of just try to everybody do best effort. It's not like we have shifts. For a while, um, I used to have a job that started fairly late in the morning, and most of my life I've been a very staunch night owl, and so I usually would always be, everyone kind of usually knew I would be keeping an eye on things after 10 o'clock until about 2 or 3 in the morning. Uh, Brad McQueen, on the other hand, he's our super early bird that's up every day at like 3.30 or 4, you know, so he would always take and keep an eye on things early in the morning before, you know, he went to work and, and so forth, and then during the day it was just kind of a smattering of whoever was available depending on time and whatnot. Um, but with seven of us, I mean, it's, this summer, there's been a couple times I've kind of wished we had nine, um, just because, again, with full-time jobs, I mean, it's like we, you know, this, it could absolutely be a full-time job, but then all of us have jobs on top of that. Right. Um, you know, and lives, too. I mean, it's the other thing that's kind of funny. We've had a few people that have, that have uh, you know, something will happen that gets contentious. Let's just say it's a dog's, you know, on-leash or off-leash debate. You know, those are always fun. <laughs> you know, that starts on a Saturday morning. And sure. we'll get several people that will send messages or post and be like, why so you have did to read you guys all that? do this? You have to read like every comment and 
Well, well, we try to keep through and skim it, like, and it's it's a double-edged sword. I have, I've flipped back and forth between turning on notifications for every post oh. versus oh, not. Bing, bing, bing. Right, like That's if you brain. do see it, at least you'll catch it early before it spirals out of control, kind of like a you know snowball going down a hill sort of thing, where like at some point it just becomes unstoppable. But then the other flip flip side of things are is that yeah, if you turn you know. If you have the notifications on, I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, your phone blows up, your battery lasts half as long, like, I mean, you just can't keep up with it. I mean, again, 40 posted, I mean, imagine this, so like 40 posts a day, let's just say this time of year, and if even there's 30 comments on each, I mean, you do the math real quick. Oh, it's you know, great it's people just, watching. I mean, That's the only reason I'm part of that group is just to sit oh, in yeah. the comments <laughs> and just watch. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. No, and then we always have a few people we can count on to make us just inflammatory enough to slide under the rules, but it's like, <laughs> thanks. You know, thanks, guys. Great, yeah. What you else know, are you patrolling, then, besides so, Summit Signs? So, like Summit negative, Signs... Negative, like, trolling bad comments. We'll try, I mean, we'll try to... It's one of those things. We try to strike a balance in terms of, like, hey, you know, this isn't a... You know, this isn't a public school or something where, like, okay, you know, there's very strict rules and regulations and, you know, we're bound by, you know, okay, we're all get paid for this and, you know, there's certain things. We, we try to do best effort and we try to make sure we make it a, an environment that is, you know, welcoming and friendly and helpful. You know, and, and unfortunately, once in a while, we do have somebody that just doesn't want to be helpful, that just decides they want to just post negative posts or inflammatory posts after post. And usually what we always try to do... For us, banning is a last resort. I mean, people joke about getting banned, and it's like, no, if you get banned under our, the current admin team, like, you really have wanted, you, know, you really did something egregious. Right. Um, right. We don't want to ban anybody. We always... How's the mongoose got banned? Oh, that, that was a, that was just a t just to give him a hard time. I, uh, <laughs> right after he became admin, I, I mean, he, he made some snarky comment about something like, oh, well, whatever, and I'm just like... Like, I, jo I joke to the other admins. I'm like, guys, I just you know initiated myself and banned the first guy. You know, it was Mongoose. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, it was kind of funny. I don't, I don't think he actually liked that too much. He, was, he seemed a little bummed when that happened. You know, and then and then he was like, oh, I don't really care. I, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. You totally did. Um, no, it, we the ban again. The banning is few and far between. You know, and I mean, I've literally sometimes just jumped into conversation and I'm like, guys, just behave like adults. Like, I mean, we're all adults here. Like, just like it that's we're sure. not asking that much you know we're not asking you to sit there and like military style like you have to be up at 4 a.m you have to pee at 4 30 you, know, <laughs> you have to eat by 4 45 and you what better be ready like... for basic training at five like no <laughs> like just don't be a jerk like right. how hard is that what if you have pretty hard advice. for some people do you jump in like okay you know b dino 57 yeah. his advice of not taking ice axe up to chicago base in this time of year is a bad or, or doing something like, uh, you know, yeah, no, that one we try to kind of do case by case, and usually, if it's something, I mean, if it's just kind of dumb advice, but probably <laughs> isn't going to be, you know, someone saying, oh, hey, you know, I like tennis shoes, you know, if you're, even if you're doing a, you know, climb in May on Mount Beerstadt, excuse me, Mount Beerstadt, you know, wear tennis shoes, like, yeah, you could, you're probably going to have wet feet by the end of the day, but the consequences are, you know, whoever it is is going to have a bad day, but they're probably not going to, you know, die from it. Uh, you know, we may or may not say something. Now, on the other hand, if someone says, oh, yeah, you can do Little Bear in winter without an ice axe and just micro spikes. Um, Which has been said before. Oh, yeah. no, I mean, <laughs> I'm surprised at what people will, you know. Will, and, I, and sometimes it's even hard to tell if they're trolling or if they just are literally that naive and are just, you know, spreading. You can't do Little Bear without, 
Well, and, winner, and a lot of nice. times that's that's where someone else will jump in yeah. who is more experienced, who will put a comment in there. So it's not necessarily your job to sterilize no, we, the we post. No, we really appreciate those folks because we don't want us to just be like, it's the, right. you know, the Ryan and it's all the other Edmunds show. We're not the no, babysitters, right. But the right. difference between 14ers is, like Mongoose was talking about yesterday, you can see Rye Guy, Rye Guy responded to my forum. He's done 135 14ers, 30, 35 and 34 in the winter. His comment might mean more than someone who has no experience. Because you see the person's resume. But there's no resume on Facebook. Right. And that's one of the biggest things we battle, you know, as far as people giving advice. And then, unfortunately, we have had to ban a few people because they were over and over giving what would be considered not only bad advice, but dangerous advice. And, you know, it's something we would really don't want to do. We had some guys, um, you might remember them a few years ago, called the Bros. Two gentlemen that... Um, they had some methods of climbing that really were not a good idea. I mean, <laughs> could you do it and survive? Well, yes. I mean, you know, they, they were... Probably. But, you know, is this wise? No. And it was, it got to a point where, you know, I think there was, there was some discussion. This was the previous admin team to myself and the current group. Um, but my understanding of the situation, it sounds like, I do remember weighing in on a couple posts and commenting about it, but... You know, the fact that they were giving advice that if somebody was newer and decided to take it at face value could lead them to get killed in terms of just dumb stuff, climbing a coolar way too late in the day, not having the right equipment, um, not doing the right research or being prepared. I mean, even it, it was it was one of those things where it was just like, okay, someone is going to follow this, take it at face value, think that these guys know what they're doing. And again, they're going to end up in the wrong situation that really is going to be bad. And that puts so. you in a tough spot, too, because if you don't jump in, you're liable. Like, whatever you permit, you promote. And that's, like, a serious thing for you guys on the page, right? Like, we, I mean, we try to make sure, just like on 14ers.com, and we still throw the disclaimer about there and say, look, you need to do your own research, you know, right. on both on the rules that uh, are on the main page, just like on uh, 14ers.com itself. You know, we talk about, like, hey, guys, you know, you do need to do your own research. And you know, we've even told people point blank on the forum, especially when they ask a very open-ended question and get 90 different responses. And then they're like, why did I get all these responses? And we're like, again, there's some things that are more personal preference. I mean, you can take an expert climber over here. I know some guys that, I mean, they would they do every day climbing-wise what I would consider to be pretty dangerous stuff. I mean, they'll free solo a lot of stuff. Now, would I personally do it? No, but they are very strong, solid guys. They would go up and down stuff, no, no trouble, you know. But then you take that, and then the, you know that's kind of the the far extreme, the middle ground. But then you go to somebody that's a newbie, and they're going to look at even what I'm doing and go, "Oh my gosh, you know, you're going up a, you know, you're going up a class four route. Oh my gosh, you could get killed." And it's like, well, yeah, but that's you know, when you're going up a class four, you know that rockfall is going to be an issue. You know it's going to be steep. You know that it's going to be probably loose. You know, unless it's Cresto Needle, um, you know, like, it, it, you know, but again, I have the experience to be able to sit there and make that judgment call of what I'm going into and is it within my, you know, risk tolerance zone, you know, and again, there's some guys that, uh, you know, there's both that are on the Facebook group and on the forum that are way more experienced than I am. And yeah, I look at some of the stuff they do and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I wouldn't do that, you mm-hmm. know, but they do it all day long and they're comfortable doing it and they're still around and have got a lot more peaks than I do. And it's like, okay. You know, they know what they're doing. They're comfortable doing it. And, hey, that's good for them. But, again, they, you know, if they tell, you know, a newbie, oh, yeah, no problem. You know, you can go up and, you know, do X, Y, Z. 
you know, it's like, uh, you know, we've, we've had to sometimes step in and also just say, look, you know, experience dependent here. So we try to, again, we try to jump in when we can, but we also, to your point, you know, really as well, we, we also really appreciate the other folks that are experienced that jump in for us. You know, sure. there's definitely a lot of folks we know of that are solid climbers that will weigh in. And, and again, we don't want it to just be all us, you know, sure. giving that advice. It's a community. And so, you know, especially with 30,000 people, again, there's some people on that page that are way more experienced than me, way more experienced than all the admin team, really. Um, and we have guys that are commercial guides on there. We have folks that have done a lot of the seven summits. Um, I mean, it's, you know, then all the way down to the guy that just joined last weekend who just moved to Colorado a week before, and he heard Mount Bierstadt's a cool thing to go do, and he's looking to go do it. I mean, that, that literally is the spectrum. So. It's an interesting dynamic to have all those people hanging out, if you will, in one place. It's like some, yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch. How some of the conversations transpire, but that's where yeah, to your to your point earlier as well, Chris. I really I wish that we had that resume feature that fourteeners.com has because yeah, you you know you have no idea when somebody gives a piece of advice what their experience level is. You know whether they've climbed twenty peaks and they're kind of feeling pretty ambitious and like they've they know what's going on, or you know there's somebody that has done you know four hundred fourteener repeats plus most of the thirteeners and they've got forty of them winner. Like, they know their stuff, you know, and obviously their advice should carry a lot more weight, but, you know, how do you, again, how does somebody vet that out? And so, again, we try to jump in when we can if it's something egregious, and we even have that as one of our rules, and I think it's something like, you know, you can save a life if you see somebody giving advice, please step in and say something. Sure. You know, at the end of the day, again, we want to be educational and try to help, right. and I think a lot of times, yeah, point to people at 14ers.com, but still educate them. You know, and at the end of the day, they need to make their own decisions, and this isn't, you know, this, we've mentioned before we're not disneyland you know there's not a nice smiling person at every intersection and you can't walk for you know, 20 <laughs> feet without bumping into somebody that will direct you and tell you how to do everything like you know no but we still try to help whenever we can so if you had to good question we normally ask a three question three word question when we're talking oh, about yeah. mountains. so what's the equivalent if you had three pieces of advice for people doing the centennials Three sentences. What would you say? How would you describe your situation doing the centennials or advice for people giving or wanting to do the centennials? What so would you tell three, them? Three pieces of advice. Um, do your research. Um, the centennials are not like the 14ers. A lot of, some of them don't have cairns. Some of them trails. There really isn't much on some of them. I mean, some there are. Others, well, you're rock finding. You, you, you got to be good. You got to know what you're doing. Um, so do your research. Two, um, you know, go with, go with some partners. You know, some people, hey, they like the solo life, that's great, but, you know, it's one of those things that you're not on a well-traveled peak. And the 14ers, chances are if something happens, there's other people that are around, they'll see it, they can help. Chances are if you don't have an in-reach or a spot, probably one of them might, you know, there's there's resources on the 14ers that are just with other people nearby. And the Centennials, there's not many people there. So you got to be self-sufficient, and that's why having some partners, you know, at least you're not just alone. Because even if you're alone, you could trip, fall, you know, break a kneecap, and guess what? It's not that bad of an injury, but now you're in trouble. You know, and there's nobody to, to take care of you. Um, and I'd say probably number three, um, you know, definitely enjoy it because it's a very different experience than a lot of the 14ers. Um, you know, a lot of these peaks, again, they're not nearly as traveled. Um, there aren't as many people, and so it's a totally different experience. And that's one of the things I, you know, I certainly have enjoyed about them. I, I can count on just over one hand the number of times that I saw somebody else on the Centennials. Awesome. Nice. Thanks, Ray Guy, for coming and sharing your insight. Sure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Wealth of knowledge. Happy trails, guys. We'll see you out there. <laughs>